present value of your money, even though it's smaller, is always bigger than the future value because it's the future value of impact versus the present value of impact. I am a husband, a father, a lawyer, a Christian, and a proud Canadian. I started this series because it was clear that our nation needs truth. Not just another biased narrative, but real information of substance. We need access to facts and the freedom to think for ourselves. I'm Leighton Gray, and this is Gray Matter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Gray Matter. Well, for we Christians, Easter is a time of redemption and renewal when we are reminded that God created a world of abundance in which, through Christ, even life itself is eternal. And yet, so often we think of life, and especially money, in terms of scarcity, of not having enough, of running out, which leads to problems like fear, anxiety, despair, and avarice. Well, today we have on the program someone who is an expert in money, who's written about it, written excellent book that we're going to talk about. And really the thesis of his book is about the importance of generosity and to think of our lives in terms of abundance. And his name is Derek Kinney. Thanks for being our special guest today, Derek. Oh, my pleasure, Layden. It's great to be with you and thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Okay. Thank you. Uh, uh, before we get into your book and, and uh, a proper biography of you, as we always do in this program, we've got uh, some aphorisms just to frame our conversation. The first of these is from uh, old, wise old Aristotle. He once wrote that a generous person is the one who gives the right person the right thing at the right time. The next quotation is from a man named Bob Proctor, who's probably familiar to our guest. Uh, and he once wrote that the law of prosperity is generosity. If you want more, give more. Next, from uh, someone who is quoted often on this program, Sir Winston Churchill, who once wrote, we make a living by what we get, yeah. but we make a life by what we give. And finally, from the Bible, the book of Corinthians, uh, it's written, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So who do we have on the show today? Well, Derek Kinney. He is recognized by Forbes as one of the nation's, that's the United States, top financial advisors. Derek coached thousands of clients to financial success through his comprehensive fee-based money and business advice model. Derek recently sold a nationally recognized multi-million dollar financial planning practice to teach his proven framework to advisors and business owners so they can achieve success in a fraction of the time. Sounds very exciting. Uh, he is a sought-after guest on local and national media, where he is regularly interviewed on CNBC, Fox News, CNN, Fox Business, PBS, Cheddar News, and the Wall Street Journal, among others. Uh, he is uh, changing the way people feel about money. He believes that money is not bad and good, and people should have more of it. After applying these proven principles with thousands of clients, uh, he is convinced that he has a system, a way of thinking about money that can change people's lives. And he's quoted here as saying, I'm passionate about helping you be the trusted and respected advisor and business owner in your local community and be paid what you deserve. 
So, Derek, what I'd like to start with uh, is uh, when I researched you, you had a very interesting thing on your website, uh, which is entitled My Totally Unlikely Story to Success. Can we start there? And perhaps you can uh, explain to people about this unlikely story and how it brought you to to becoming uh, uh, you know, a, a very popular and well-read author. Well, let me go back. I'm, I'll go back a bit further, Leighton, uh, and uh, I'll take you back to when I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, you can probably see I have a pretty big nose. And a lot of people let me know about that. When I was growing up, I was teased mercilessly as a kid. And it really candidly, if I'm being honest, led me to a pretty dark place. I was lonely. I was searching. I was just asking God, God, why did you do this to me? Because I felt like it was almost a punishment. And I suddenly had a, an epiphany one day in my sophomore year in high school. And I decided to run for class president. And my junior year, I did not come from the gene pool of the popular kids, as many people can relate to. <laughs> and I had this idea that I was going to take posters. Normally, you'd write in really big letters, hey, vote for Derek and so forth. And I took the contrarian approach and I put it in very small letters, thinking people would have to walk up to the poster and read it and, and they would absorb that knowledge. And therefore, I would stand out by, by sort of blending in. Well, it kind of backfired. I, I did come in second place, but I wasn't elected president that year, but it was still a fun year, but I learned a lot of lessons that year. So the next year, I decided to put all my chips on the table and run for student body president. And I had a, a different idea this year. And this was, I, I looked around the high school and I saw all these different groups of individual sort of people in silos. There was the the rock and roll crowd back in the day and the country western crowd and the band crowd and the athletes and the people who really like to study or the people that like to smoke cigarettes and all, all the groups around school. But nobody was really coming together or bringing them together. And the idea was I would get a picture taken with me and the leader of each of these groups and put that picture on a poster board where they all hung out with an, an endorsement of me. So for example, a guy named Steve Mosley, who was head of the rock and roll crowd, the, the long hair, the Ozzy Osbourne t-shirt. And I got a picture of he and I, and he said, rock the vote with Derek. He's gonna, he's our guy. <laughs> and what happened was, as I did this around the school, suddenly all of us who felt like we were nobodies felt like we were a somebody because somebody was bringing us all together. So out of five people that day, I won the election. But I will tell you this, Leighton, it wasn't me who won that day. It was all of us. And I mm -hmm. still get emotional thinking about it because it was a time where all of us had our inadequacies and we felt unworthy and undeserved. And, you know, we didn't feel like the popular crowd, but suddenly all of us together felt like we were on a mission to help each other be a better version of ourselves. And what that led me to do was it built confidence that I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. I don't have to be the one to impress everybody. As long as I can help people feel understood and heard and seen, I could actually build a pretty solid business. And that's what led me then to go into business and become a financial advisor. And those principles mm -hmm. really helped me become more successful than I deserve and much more than I thought I could ever achieve. That's, that's really a, a, almost the definition of servant leadership, isn't it? Yeah, that's what you, know, you discovered at a young age, and it makes a lot of sense, especially having read your book. Uh, that whole what you just talked about is really in the book; it's in every chapter, isn't it? Well, I, what I wanted to do was blend in a book that was relatable 
to every reader. You know, if you're like me, there's lots of books and the authors are well-intentioned, but the book sort of goes over my head and I paid the 20 bucks and I might've picked up a couple of ideas, but it wasn't a real practical approach. And I wanted to have this book feel like you and I were having coffee together that, hey, they're sitting there with Derek, having a great cup of coffee. And, and here's a message in a conversational way that can help them not just make more money, but understand why they should make more money. And that is that mm -hmm. it's perhaps the greatest tool we have in the world that God has given us to do more good in the world. And the question I would ask your listeners and viewers is, you know, we, I tend to believe that there's good people and there's bad people in the world. And we know that when you give a bad person, people who hold people back and, and do bad things to people, if you give them more resources, typically what do they do? Well, they do more bad with it. So I believe I want the good people in the world, the people who want to lift people up and believe in people and build others up and give to grow God's kingdom. I want them to have more money. And I want to also debunk that, look, people interpret the Bible to say that the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, I, I really like, I'm not going to come to you and say, I love money, but I really like it up to the highest level of almost on the verge of love. But it's not the money itself that I really like. It's because what it allows me to do to help improve other people's lives. You know, right. think about if you've ever given an anonymous gift to someone, someone came up to you and said, boy, I'm really struggling. And, and there was that tug in your heart. And you said, man, I want to do something for this person, but I don't know what to do. And you mm -hmm. go to the bank or you, you put a hundred dollar bill in an envelope and you anonymously drop it in their mailbox. And you're just excited. You're giddy. I mean, it's almost like you're a kid all over again because you know what you've done is about to cause someone's life to be radically blessed. And then the way right. God often does this, I joke about this, is he often has that person come back to you of all people and say, you're not going to believe what happened, Layden. Somebody left this money in my bank, in my, in my mailbox. And now you've got to practice the best poker face you've ever had to not act like and admit you were the one that did it. And it's so cool because then you get to see the person and how it blessed them. And it just motivates. I think of it as fuel to want to go make more money for a purpose that is, I'm not just padding my bank account. I'm not just looking to, to hit, you know, two commas or even three commas, whatever that may be for you and your bank account. It's bigger than that. It's how can I make other people's lives better? And how can I then go make more money to do more good and keep repeating that process? Mm -hmm, because I believe mm -hmm. it's the most powerful lever that we have for good. There's a couple of interesting points in there I want to pull out. One is, uh, it reminds me of a book by Dennis Prager which is kind of funny. It's called happiness is a serious problem. And he says that happiness is the feeling that we get. And it's kind of a fleeting feeling, but you just described it. When you do something that you know is good, and you get that warm feeling that you've done something right. Uh, that's one part of it. The second part of it is what you just talked about is uh, this idea that more money is not going to improve our lives. In fact, you point out in your book that, uh, that, Fairly quickly, right around the time people start earning about six figures, um, the, the, the sort of threshold of more money makes your life better sort of ends. And that at that point, if, if your life is going to be meaningful, if, if money is actually going to improve your life, 
you have to start figuring out figuring out ways to give it away in a way that helps other people. Does that does that sound about right? Do I have that correct? Yeah, and I'll and I'll tell you a story to illustrate uh, the point you're making. Uh, there was a gentleman named Dr. Mike Norton, and he was a professor. And he decided to do an experiment in, in Canada, of all places, and they, they went to two different colleges, and they decided to, to interview some students, about 10 students ahead of time, and they asked and evaluated their current level of happiness in that moment. They asked about school and their family and their life and so forth. Then they gave a, a half of them a $20 bill, and they said, in the next 24 hours, you need to go spend this money on yourself. And so the people, as they came back, reported they might have, you know, bought lunch for themselves or bought a gadget or or something to improve their lives temporarily. And then they asked that group of people, how did it make you feel? And what they were surprised to find out was that it really didn't increase their level of happiness at all. It was nice to have it, but there was no noticeable bump in their fulfillment in life. Now, the other group, they gave the $20 to, and they said, in the next 24 hours, we want you to spend this on someone else. So as those students did that and came back, they reported that they they might have bought a snow cone for a young person, or they bought a teddy bear for a friend, or they, they made a donation to the food pantry or took a friend to lunch. And those people, when asked about their level of happiness, had a noticeable increase in happiness. And what was even more intriguing was it wasn't just a temporary increase. They measured it up to a week later, and there was still an increase in their happiness. And what the scientists concluded was that we often think that if I just give, for example, if I'm an employer and I decide to randomly leave $20 on each of my employees' workstations, that that's going to give me a bump in productivity. They're going to love me more. And it actually doesn't. They, They think, hey, it's nice but it doesn't do anything because they're using it for themselves. But when people use it for someone else, it gives them this feeling of, I actually, in my action, helped make someone's life better. And so Mm late, what I would do is to intersect that feeling is how do we then use that as a motivation for the business owners or the the Mm -hmm. managers or the companies listening right now to say, boy, how do we motivate and attract a higher group of talent? How do we create mm-hmm. raving customers? What well, we know is that the, the competition is ferocious to hire and attract good people. And people no longer want the nine to five paper pushing, what am I here wasting my life for job? They don't want that anymore. They want a job with meaning. And we also mm-hmm. know that customers, they can buy a great shirt or a great phone or a great car from anybody. And the quality is going to be average to good. But what they really want, they want a company who's making the world better, who connects. If I buy this product, I get a great product, but I'm also help making someone's life better. That's how you create raving employees and raving customers. And this whole concept is money is not bad. Go make a lot of it. Do it ethically. Mm-hmm. Do it morally right. Do it by helping improve people's lives, but by creating a great product and then using that money to do something good in the world. It could be in your local community if you're a small business owner. You want to support the local school, a cause you care about, a cause your best clients care about. You're going to have people wanting to work with you, not just because you're a great financial advisor or a great attorney or realtor or CPA, they assume you're going to know what you're doing. 
But when they see you making the world better, it endears them. There's a physiological level that endears people to you. And I'll tell you another quick story. Uh, one of my friends, her name is B. Bocalandro, and she wrote a book called Do Good at Work. And in her research, mm. she found that when people are watching TV, for example, if they see an ad for a new car or a new phone or a new product or service, they might get interested in it, but it does nothing to their brain to make them feel better. They simply notice that here's a new product and they sort of either check that box or uncheck it as to whether they're interested or not. But if the ad ties in a giving component, it changes everything. For example, if they were to say, hey, by the way, when you purchase this car, a portion goes to help the U.S. Olympic team. Or when you buy this item, a portion goes to help underprivileged teens have access to business knowledge to have a better life. Well, suddenly that aspect of it, when they measure brain waves, get this, it's as though you're looking into the eyes of someone you love is how the brain responds when they see an ad that makes the world better. So it's amazing to think that our brains are wired for generosity. But so many people late and think that generosity is measured by, I write a check to the boys club, I write a check to the United Way, I write a check to the homeless shelter, and that's it. And it's sort of a deal where I lose, money comes out of my bank account for them to win. And it's this lose-win scenario. And that's right. the old way of thinking about giving. The new way is go make more money and delight your clients and let them know that, hey, a portion of our proceeds of this business or what we're doing, go to make the world better or our local community better. And it actually drives up your business to then be able to give more. So it's a catalyst and a reason to go make more money for the good that you and your company can do. Interesting. Um, you know, uh, the, and the book is called Good Money Revolution. Uh, it's available on Amazon and everywhere else that, that you buy books. I have to say, folks, that uh, the folks who follow this program know that I read a lot of books. I don't normally like financial books. And, you know, I've read recent ones like Robert Kiyosaki and Ray Dalio and others. Your book reminded me actually of a book that's about 100 years old now called Think and Grow Rich. Oh. Anyone who's read that book and understands it knows that it's not a book about money. Uh, the thinking richly, it's in terms of thinking, uh, in, of, uh, in terms of abundance. And I see that same concept in your book, and it's coming from the same source. It's coming from a sense of, of God and a sense of purpose. Uh, and seeing money as a way, as a means of doing good works, of, do, of, of affecting people's lives and producing meaning. But one of the first steps be, it, towards doing that, uh, Derek, is losing this fear of, uh, of overcoming the fear of money. A lot of people have sort of irrational fears of money, of running out, of not making enough, you know, that they're going to be destitute and that sort of thing. So what's the first step for people, do you think, in terms of getting over that initial fear of, of money and of running out? Well, I believe the first step is to assess, do you have a bad relationship with money? Are you not on speaking terms with your dollar bills? And, and let me tell you an example. I was in the office a couple of years back on a Saturday morning, catching up on some things. And I saw my voicemail light blinking and a voice inside. I think it was the Holy Spirit just said, you need to listen to what message is on the answering machine. I pressed it 
And to my shock and really surprise, there was a frantic woman's voice who left a message. She said, Derek, oh you have to call me back. Now, she was a longtime client. I recognized her voice immediately. She said, Derek, you've got to call me back. Something has happened. They're about to take me to jail. Well, my jaw oh. dropped wide open, Leighton. I've never had anybody say that to me, nor leave it on a voicemail message on a Saturday in my office. And I knew if I waited to call her back, you know, bad news doesn't age very well. I said, mm -hmm. I need to call her back right now. So I called her back and I said, I just got your message. I happened to be in the office today. Tell me what happened. She said, Derek, I got a letter in the mail that said they're going to send me to jail. And I said, what does the letter say? Well, what it was, was it was a non-sufficient funds letter that basically told her that she had to move money from savings to checking to cover a check she wrote and she bounced a check. Now, to you and me, that happens periodically and, and the bank charges a fee, but nobody gets hauled off to jail for that. So I dug deeper very quickly. I said, why do you think they're going to take you to jail? So she takes me back on a story that when she was seven years old, she says, Derek, when I was seven years old, I overheard my dad receive a phone call from a store manager. He had just gone to buy school supplies for her and her siblings, and he had accidentally bounced a check. And the store manager said, I know you did this on purpose, and I'm going to call the cops and send you to jail. And in that moment, a oh. seven-year-old girl overheard her dad hear this. Her dad was upset and noticeably worried, of course. This woman was now almost approaching 70 years old. She grew up her entire life believing that if you make a financial mistake, if you bounce a check, you're going to go to jail. And what happened wow. was this call led me then to, to basically kind of pull back the onion on her life because this had been a woman who I'd worked with for probably 15 years, but there was this pattern that I couldn't put my finger on. She would never always take my advice, which had cost her from making more money. She was always complaining about why did someone else get the promotion and I didn't. She was always mm -hmm. concerned as to why aren't I making the money I deserve. And as we began to meet over the next couple of weeks, and by the way, we called the bank Monday, we moved money from checking, from savings to checking, got her, got the issue taken care of. I assured her she was not going to be wearing pinstripes in a jail cell <laughs> over the weekend. So we, we allayed her fear there, but I said, I want you to come in on Monday. Let's talk through this because I, I detected there was a deeper story. And as we began to talk through this over the next couple of weeks, we uncovered that it was that raw emotion, that experience had basically cemented her belief that if you make a mistake with money, then you're bad. It's like a phobia it almost. It was a phobia, which led mm -hmm. her to not take risk, to not believe in herself and to get overlooked for opportunities that she was equally or more deserving for. Uh, Here's right. the good news though. Within six months of us talking and uncovering this big problem and her discovering it and addressing her fear and realizing, I can't believe I was held captive by this fake fear for almost 50 years or longer, she got a promotion, was making about $20,000 more per year than she was making, and she started taking my advice and she started making more money. <laughs> oh, wow. But she was this, this beautiful flower that began to blossom again, where she'd been just like one of the weeds uh, for so long. And it taught mm -hmm. me a lesson that oftentimes we look on the outside Leighton, we, we look at someone and we say, oh, they look like they have it all together because they put on this front that is so right. formidable and, and so confident. 
but inside this woman was wilting like a flower about to mm -hmm. die. And mm -hmm. I would tell all of your listeners to say, the first step is to ask yourself, have you been told by someone else or have you told yourself that you're simply not good with money or that other people deserve money and you don't? Or have you made a decision and it didn't go very well and you said, oh, that confirms it, I'm not good with money. I would ask you to press the reset button today and say, look, I can either choose to live based on what's happened in my past, or I can say my past has passed. That is in the rearview mirror. It's time to look through the windshield and make changes and now make and create the financial life that I believe God has for me. So that's how you sort of begin to realign your bad money beliefs. That's the starting point Yes, to getting over the fears, realigning, recognizing that maybe you have some beliefs about money that are that are irrational, that are wrong. Uh, and then, so once you get there, once you get past that initial fear and start to look at these, these beliefs, what, what do you help people with in terms of taking the place of those bad ideas? How do we, how do you get people thinking positively about money in terms of abundance so that they can start to be generous with their money and also flourish themselves financially? Well, and it's such a good point because I can't expect people to buy this book and if they feel like they're thousands and thousands of dollars in debt for them to hear me say, hey, start giving money. It actually sounds pretty callous and shallow if well, you ask well, me. Only governments can do that, right? That's Derek? right. That's right. And, and so <laughs> what I would ask people to think about is before they even think about giving is we have to meet people's needs. I mean, for example, let's say that a good friend of mine uh, walks up to me and I can tell they've not had a meal in, in a couple of days. Well, I could mm. say to them, hey, do you want to go on vacation with me to Florida? Or I could say to them, hey, how about we get you some food? Now, which of those two in that moment would be more practically received? Now, you might think, boy, they'd love to go on a vacation with me, but really all they want is a burger and fries and a drink to meet their right. current need. And so what I would also ask people to think about is go back in your past, and it could be when you were a kid, it could be last week, it could have been this morning, was there ever a grandparent or a parent in your life that would occasionally bang their fist on the kitchen table and say, if only we had more money, then we could do the things we want to do. And you began as a young child to see, oh my gosh, money determines if our family is happy or not. And the lack of it contributes to whether we have the life that we really want. Or did someone say, and these are the words that I, I hope that no one heard, but I know that they have, someone said to you directly, you know what? Our family is just not good with money. There's the haves and the have-nots, and we're part of the have-nots. You see, when, when kids hear that from the people who they respect, the moms and the dads and the grandparents, they just take that as truth, and it puts this artificial limit on their potential, how much right. they can earn, the opportunities they take, the risk they take what they do to improve their lives and they feel like they're stuck they feel like they're they're bouncing up against the ceiling all the time and they can't figure out why and so what i would tell people is to acknowledge that and say look many successful people even into their 70s and their 80s didn't achieve success until then because they kept evaluating what's holding me back and what can i do to cut that cord to make sure that i achieve my potential so the first thing i would tell people to do is start simple. 
you know, what causes right. so many New Year's resolutions to go broken is on January the 1st, people write out 50 different resolutions where I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to lose 200 pounds. I'm going to pay off my house. I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to have a new mm -hmm. relationship. I mean, even saying all that makes me tired. <laughs> what I want people right. to do is think about on it. What could you write on a sticky note? Three goals, simple goals that by December 31st of mm -hmm. 2023, I will achieve. It might be, I'm going to reduce my credit card bill by $1,000. I want to save $500 for my kid's college. And I want to give $100 to this organization because I care about it and how it makes me mm -hmm. feel. Now, what you want to do is to supercharge those goals is you want to not just say, how good will it feel to achieve them, which is powerful, but the more powerful emotion is, what is at stake? if I don't achieve these goals, if I don't right. save $500 from my daughter's college, she could miss out on the opportunities that she wants and I want for her and I can't allow that to happen. When I pull up and I see someone who's homeless, whatever their situation has been asking for money or cigarettes or whatever, whatever they're, they're looking for, whatever their need is, if I could give money to the homeless shelter who can educate and better prepare them for the future, that's what I want. If not, there's a group of people that may not live the life that I know God has for them. And so when you right. begin to take what I call the focus off of the me show, which is the selfish show, it's all about Derek. And I've lived in that world a long time. And it's a show that gets canceled after about one season. But I transfer that to the, to the we show, where it's all about me helping other people. How can I add value to people's lives? How can I help extract the potential from their life and improve their life. That's the show that never gets canceled and it's in reruns every day and people love to keep watching it. And so I would mm -hmm. just say, keep it simple. But even if you're drowning in debt right now, could you take $5? Could you take $10 and pick a cause that matters to you? Maybe there was mm -hmm. something in your childhood that made a big impact on you that, man, whenever I have more money, then I will. Don't worry about that. I believe the present value of your money is worth more than the future value. And, and let me just tell you why I believe that. You could wait and say, you know what, one day when I have $1,000, then I will give it to the homeless shelter. The problem is the time it takes you to save between your current $5 and $1,000 it could be years and that years means the impact that is missed. You see, if I give right. $5 today, that's going to make an impact today on somebody's life. If I mm -hmm. wait a couple of years till I have a higher amount, all of those lives that could have been impacted right. are missed out. And so we can't make, we can't make more time, right? That's right. Economically, you can make the case. And I don't disagree with you that dual well, Derek, the future value of money is always greater than the present value. That's true mathematically, but in the giving space, in terms of if we care about humanity and improving mm -hmm. people's lives, which I do and I know many people do, the present value of your money, even though it's smaller, is always bigger than the future value because it's the future value of impact versus the present value of impact. And when you do that, when you're giving, even if you're drowning in debt, if you give $5, Suddenly now you're in control of that $5 and you feel empowered. You feel emboldened mm. because it's no longer a debtor 
calling on you and you're under that thumb of them owing them money, you got $5 to control mm -hmm. and make people's lives better. And when you feel that sense of fulfillment and that sense of gratitude and that blessing that you're about to make to somebody, it can cause you to say, you know what? I need to go make more money. I need to do something to improve my financial life right now so I can experience this feeling every single day. That's a, a key message of the book, isn't it? That that small changes can that's that that even even small measures can cause huge huge changes, not just in terms of money, but in terms of transforming lives. That's one of the key messages of, of the book, isn't it? And and that that sort of extrapolates out uh, into a life uh, that's worth living, a life that is meaningful, uh, a life where a person is, uh, let's say, freed of of the bondage that is the fear of money, of the fear of running out, the fear of scarcity, and uh, and sort of the prison of greed. Uh, that's 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 one of the messages that's really key in your book. Also, is that. Thinking in this way is an antidote to greed, isn't it? it? It really is. And, you know, so much of culture today villainizes money. And mm -hmm. they talk about that if you have too much money, and, and even the definition of too much money is very, very subjective, which typically means you simply have more money than the person that's criticizing you about the money you have. That's really the definition <laughs> of too much money. But if you have a company or you own a business that you're very successful, well, you're the villain in that story. And it leads yeah. us to some very questionable government thinking in terms of, you know what? The rich need to take a large portion of their money and give it to the poor. Here's the problem with that on many levels. First of all, the poor often are offended by just getting a handout because most people have this innate desire. They wanna have their needs met, no doubt about that but they want to be on a pathway to productivity. There's this feeling of when I earn it, it feels so good then to have money that I've earned with my hands, with my brain, with the gifts God has given me. And when you do that and you empower people, now you're building people up in a sustainable way. Simply asking the rich to give their money does nothing to motivate the rich. And it really does little to motivate the poor. So it's just a poor policy. While the optics may look good, it doesn't really have a lot of foundation long-term. But if we now talk about it and we, and we convince rich people, people that have the money to say, you know what, here's a way to not just feel like you're losing by writing this big check so that charity wins, let's embed a new culture into your business. And let me tell you a quick story. There was a gentleman named Dave who was a longtime client of mine. And you know those relationships you have where you can just tell based on the person's body language, clearly something is wrong with this person when you see them. That's how Dave <laughs> was that day. Yes. Yes. He, he was kind of slumped over. He looked older. You can just tell he was wearing the weight of the world on his shoulders. And after mm -hmm. some small talk, I said, Dave, I can tell something is wrong. Spill it. He begins to tell me, Derek, over the past couple months, I've lost my excitement to go into the office. He owned a small local consulting company, well-respected guy in the area, but he wasn't feeling all in on the business anymore. And he said, Derek, I'm just not excited to wake up every morning to go to the office. And I said, Dave, is there a cause that you care deeply about? And I could tell that mm -hmm. question stunned him. And he sat back in his chair for a moment and reflected. 
and he began to tell me a story. And he said, Derek, a couple years ago, I took my family and I, we went on a, a trip overseas and this particular village that the guide took us to made a point to talk about the, the financial devastation, the economic hardship, the poverty that this village experienced for decades. And they said right. they've, they've come up with one solution, and that is if there was a school building that was built where they could dedicate resources to formalize education, it would literally transform this entire community. And he remembered in that moment exchanging a glance with his wife as if to say to her, wouldn't it be cool to fund this school? Well, he kind of forgets about it, gets back to his busy life. Well, my question brought these emotions back to him. And I said, Dave, what if you did this? What if over the next six months, you set an aggressive sales goal and you took half of that increase and used it to fund that school? His eyes got as big as saucers. We began to brainstorm how to do that. And mm -hmm. literally, we agreed to have him come back in six months. He shows up back in my office three months later. Three months early, he looks younger. He looks excited. He looks like he's back on his A game again. I said, Dave, it's noticeable. You can't deny that something has happened. Tell me the story. He begins to tell me about how he took what we talked about. And in my book, I call it your generosity purpose. He put right. a tab on his website and he mocked up a picture of what this school could look like. And he wrote a story about why it mattered to him. And then he let all of his customers and employees know about it. Well, what happened, not even I could have uh, guessed the transformation. So his customers bought in, they referred other people to the business because they realized they could do consulting work with any company, but not every company had a generosity purpose where they took a portion of their proceeds and they made the world better. And so right. their business grew dramatically, but more importantly, two things happened that we weren't expecting. First of all, his employees got re-engaged. He didn't know it, but a lot of them had become the nine to five paper pushing. I'm just here to give my paycheck and leave on Friday mentality. They then began to feel proud of working for a business that was making the world better. Suddenly they had meaning to their jobs, but the biggest winner of all was Dave. Dave was reinvigorated. Now he wasn't just going to the office to make money. He was going to make money, but also combine purpose to his profits combine his cash to a cause and all of those meaning to his money, all of that made him want to do better. So he had record sales. People began to refer his business, but more importantly, he was transformed and he funded half of that school in three months. And what that did wow. is that was a message that we began to take all around the country. Now that look, culture has shifted. You can be a company that provides a great product or service and people will buy it, but you're never going to be spectacular. You're never going to have raving clients and raving employees. If you want raving, you need to give a portion of what you make. And here's why, you know, when you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs back in the day, and there's been other right. things that have talked mm -hmm. about this. You remember the top of the pyramid is either self-actualization or fulfillment. You see, all of us, and I believe it's just a longing that God gave each of us, we want to have that filled by giving to other people. When we give, when we make right. other people's lives better, it makes us feel more human and more full as a human. You know, all these movies, when I think back to these, these dying scenes of men and women who 
regret and they look back on their lives, if only I had done this, if only, I don't want that for any of our viewers. I want people right. to live every day fulfillment. So when their head hits the pillow at night, they know that they've made people's lives better, that they're making money for a purpose and they're helping other people live the best version of their lives. And that, that's, that was the purpose of this mm -hmm. purpose. I want it to be a movement to say, money is not bad. We want the good people to have it, the good people listening to this right now, and no longer just use, I want to have X amount on my bank account, which isn't bad, but I really want to use it to make more good in the world. And that's how you live a life of fulfillment every single day. Right. And, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, I do at Easter is I go back and I, I reread the Gospels. And mm -hmm. it's interesting because I was reading your book at the same time as I was rereading the Gospels. And of course, in the Gospels, Christ performs certain miracles. We all know one of them is feeding the multitudes. And um, I saw sort of a symmetry, a synchronicity between the idea of building wealth through giving and Christ feeding the multitudes. Now, of course, uh, those of us mere mortals, we can't, we can't turn water into wine. We can't feed thousands. But I think there's more to that story uh, because implicit in it is this idea, well, you know, we only have a bit of fish and, and a bit of bread. We can't feed thousands of people. Um, but, you know, those men, if Christ weren't there, perhaps they would have just fed themselves. Uh, but, the, but the idea that we're going to take what we have and not only is it going to be enough, we're going to give what we have, we're going to share it, but then there's going to be leftovers. That's a part of the story that isn't told. Uh, enough that there's actually left over. So we give what we have and then more comes back to us. And that's one of the key principles. And, and uh, when you find your generosity purpose, as you describe in your book, that's really, uh, and people need to understand this because it's an important message in your book, that will actually end up helping you to build your own wealth. Yeah. It, it's so yeah. true. And it's, it's sort of not thought of like that. Most people feel like, well, if I give, again, I keep losing so other people win. And, and I want to just let people know that is the old way of thinking about giving. The, the reason, I mean, the reason I wrote this book, Good Money Revolution, is I just wanted to debunk the old way of thinking about money. You know, the whole mm -hmm. point of it is how can you use money for good as a tool for good and then let that encourage you and motivate you to go make more of it? You know, it's interesting, especially of people I work with who have retired. You know, when you think about somebody who retires, uh, if people really hated their job, they love retirement. It's just that it, it's like they've broken free from the prison cell and they're out, they're free. They're on permanent uh, parole. But many people who retire, they begin to miss the camaraderie and, and the, the strategy mm -hmm. brain and, and, and having to focus on problems and just being around other people. And what I find is, People often think, well, I've already retired, Derek. This, this book is of no use to me. And what I found is, and I, and I included a chapter on this, of people when they retire also want meaning more than ever. And would there be a way to combine, could I get the camaraderie I want, but also have a generosity purpose? And I'll, I'll tell you an example. One woman who'd been a longtime client of mine, her husband had passed. And this is an interesting story because I had never had this happen before. Uh, about five years earlier, her husband said, Derek, I want you to come over and put your hand on my chest. Well, I've never had a client <laughs> tell me to put my hand on their chest. And I, and I, and I did because I respected him a lot. And, and as I put my hand there, he said, Derek, 
what you're feeling is my pacemaker. And I want you to make a oh. commitment to me right now. And, and suddenly I was, I was all in. If ever this pacemaker stops and I die, I want you to make a commitment in front of me and my wife right now that you will help take care of her and make sure that she is oh. going to be okay. That's an intense moment. That was an intense moment. And I, and I kept my hand there a little bit longer because I was just, I was just sitting in the gravity of the moment. And mm -hmm. when I took my hand off, I said, yes, I will do everything in my power if anything happens to you. Well, uh, albeit it was a Saturday morning, about five years later, I got a call from her that his pacemaker had suddenly stopped and he had passed away. And in that moment, I was grieving with her, but it wasn't the grieving as though all is lost. It was the grieving of now we put in practice and we put in action the plan the three of us had decided if this happened. And so a couple mm -hmm. of years later, as we began working more closely with her, her health began to deteriorate. And out of the blue, I said, you know, what is it that you enjoy doing? And she said, well, I really love baseball. I love watching the Texas Rangers play baseball. And I said, what if you worked a couple games a week at the Rangers? You'd be around what you love. You'd get to meet other people. Well, we went online together and we, I applied basically for her on my laptop. She got a call back and she loves it. What happened was she began to usher in this one section at the ballpark. And so she began to see fans on a regular basis that got to know her met some other people, and she then took a portion of her income that she made from that and used it to fund the food pantry that was so important to Ted, mm. her husband. So here right. was Mary, now loving baseball, having the social interaction, and interestingly enough, her health improved dramatically. Her blood pressure dropped, her cholesterol mm. went down, she was in better shape, and this right. proved out what many people have talked about, that when you're giving, actually it benefits your health as well. So it's not just, hey, I'm giving to help make other people's lives better. Often it's your life that gets better because of that generosity, purpose, and mm -hmm. action. Yeah, it seems counterintuitive until yeah. you actually experience it and then you and then you understand it. And and really um not to put too fine a point on it, but that really is walking uh in in Christ's footsteps. I mean that we 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 really are being uh, you know, as our savior, when, when we do think and we act in, in those ways, because, you know, talking about the gospels, really his whole ministry was about doing that, about bringing meaning to people's lives, yes. uh, and, and, and changing lives. And, and we do have the ability Christ in us or charisma, uh, that's what we have. And that's what we can share when we do it. Uh, it's astonishing. But it, it makes us feel better, too. It, it raises us up, which I guess is, is kind of the point. But, uh, Derek, we've, I, we've talked a lot about your book. I just want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, uh, The Good Money Podcast. You want to talk a little bit about that, about why you started that and, and kind of what the podcast is all about? Yeah, let me go back. So we, I, I sold my business in January of 2020. And prior to that, I think your listeners may find this of interest, I go on a sabbatical every year. And what I mean by that is I take about five days completely by myself to do three things, think, pray, and journal. And I ask myself three guiding questions every year. 
what can I do to be a better father? What can I do to be a better husband? And what can I do to be a better business owner? And those three questions, I just ask for God's wisdom because I tend to move pretty fast as many people do. And I realized if I'm gonna run really, really fast, 52 weeks of the year, I need to take one week to clarify what am I running fast after? Because you'd hate right. to wake up a year later and realize I ran really fast, but I ran toward the wrong thing. And you feel kind of foolish about that. So this mm -hmm. was July of 2019. And as I was praying just for God's wisdom, I felt like he guided me to say, Derek, write down a list of all the things that you would enjoy doing in this next phase of your life. And I wrote, I've been contemplating selling the business and I wrote down, write a book, launch a podcast, coach, speak, consult, and all of those, I could just feel the excitement welling up inside me. And on the list, surprisingly, was not being a client facing advisor. And in that moment, I knew it was time to sell. It was time to, to make a bold mm. move. I called my wife. This was literally about two hours into my sabbatical. I had four more days to go. And my wife was so supportive. She said, Derek, I've been thinking the same thing. So this doesn't surprise me. I'm fully on board. I support you 100%. And we prayed together, just asked for God's wisdom on that. Well, so January, I then sold the business. And I didn't sell it because I had a plan in place. I just sold it because I knew it was time to bet on myself again, as I had done 25 years earlier, starting this financial planning business and believing that God mm. would open those doors. And so what was interesting was, I believe the podcast, it was either going to be launch the podcast or write a book. Now, this was in the heart of COVID. And I realized if I write a book right now while people are hurting, it'll be like I'm invisible and I can't help people along the way right now. So I decided to put the book on hold and I launched the podcast because that way I could speak directly to people over the airwaves and, and hopefully meet them where they were at and just help mm -hmm. them, even if it was minor, to, to live a better life and have encouragement mm -hmm. for themselves and their money. And that's how the wow, Good Money Podcast was born. And it was funny, mm -hmm. my daughter came into me one day, she said, Dad, I think it's time to launch the podcast. And I just took that as a voice from God that, okay, it's time to go. And it's funny now when you listen to early interviews and, and Layden, you may have the same feeling, you think back, oh my gosh, I sounded terrible. That was terrible. How do people listen to that? But you just have to get, and, and the message I would have for our listeners is just get started. Don't let the fear of getting started hold you back from impacting people's lives. I, I've now come mm -hmm. to the conclusion that that's actually selfish. If you're waiting until you sound perfect, you're not helping imperfect people improve their lives. And, and that's right. just not right. And so the podcast was all about how do I meet people where they're at and help them do better with their money and do better with their life. And so we've had some great guests. You know, we've had the the Matthew McConaughey's, the Ed yeah. Lettes, the Mel Robbins. We've had great people, yeah. but also we've had people nobody's ever heard about. And it's simply people who are relatable, people who are like on this, listening to this podcast right now that, that maybe feel stuck. They have a dream mm -hmm. for business or that they feel stuck in their nine to five and want to do something of their own. How do they do it? And we want to offer hope, but more than hope, practical steps to help them build their financial lives and build their business and more importantly, how they can start making more money to do more good. It is a great show. I've, I've listened to about half half a dozen episodes. Thank you. And uh, quite enjoy it. And I think that there's a lot of meaningful content there for people. So I, I strongly recommend it to those people who follow our show, especially if you're interested in finding out more about uh, good money, 
and uh, and the ideas that that Derek has been talking about today with us. Um, Derek, we've kept you for a while, and we're so grateful for the time. We've learned a lot more about you and uh, your philosophy and your book. Um, this is the part of the show where we sort of close off with something that we call the reading list. Uh, it probably will not astonish you to learn that your book is featured today. Uh, it's called Good Money Revolution. And uh, it really, it's received some really incredible reviews. Uh, and uh, you've talked about it a lot, but there's a, a list of, of, of things that uh, in, the, in the description of the book, it says that you'll discover. And so I want to highlight these. It says, you'll discover the secret to making more money, your generosity purpose, which Derek has talked about today. Five money mindsets keeping you from cash. Uh, so we didn't talk about that today. So that's a, a kernel of wisdom or five of them that are in the book. How to teach your money to make you money and use it for good. Derek did talk about that today. The three levers of money, save more, crush your debt and earn more. And how to transform your business and create a raving customer base. Derek says, don't just make money, make good money. It says this book will show you how. Welcome to the good money revolution. One question I have about the book, Derek, is this. Uh, the good money part makes sense. Why revolution? Why is it revolutionary? You know, I, I debated on that word. You know, when you write a book, you really think about the titles of the book and what would have the most meaning. I could have just called it, you know, how to make money. But the word revolution, what I thought about was that as we think about in history, there's moments where people want to right a wrong. There's an injustice in the world. There's something that they want to do. That they say, this is just not right. And I came to the conclusion that people for so long have said money is bad. We believe the Bible says money is bad. If you have a lot of money, you're bad. If you want to make money, you're bad. And I just wanted to, to say like they do on Family Feud, the big X, Erk, wrong answer, <laughs> reset. I want to debunk that and say, go make more money, but not for the usual reasons that people criticize. Go make it for the good that you can do. And one of the things, Layton, I wanted to mention to you is we're actually giving away the first five chapters of the book for free. There's a special wow, link it's called goodmoneychapters.com, goodmoneychapters.com. You can download that. You get the, the introduction by Donald Miller, a good friend, the first five chapters, because we you don't make a lot of money when you write a book, candidly, but I want, wrote this book to help improve countless people's lives. And it has become a best-selling book, but I want to give that away to get this message into his hands as many people as possible. So it's goodmoneychapters.com. Wow. Well, that certainly shows that uh, you mean it when you talk about the generosity yeah. purpose. Uh, it's very generous to give away those five chapters, and we're going to make sure that that link is provided to, to our viewers here. Uh, Derek, I want to thank you so much for being our special guest today and talking to us about your work, about your lifetime of work, and sharing it with us. It's so clear, it's so obvious uh, that you are living a life of meaning, that you are living a life of purpose, and that your main goal is to help people uh, to live out their dreams. And uh, I've, I have so much regard for that, and uh, I want to thank you for that, and also for taking the time to be our special guest today on Gray Matter. I want to wish you much continued success, and I hope that there's a sequel, perhaps uh, 
the better money revolution. (laughs) (laughs) Lane, thanks so much. I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. 